Al Gore. Lance Cycle. What are we talking about today? We are talking about some interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to go back to the past. We're going to tell some great stories of, of how we got work um, through through fun, fun work. Um, we have fun here? We have lots of fun. We oh, have okay. lots of fun. And then we're going to dive into something current. We're going to dive into the design build, which I think will be very exciting for people. All right. Well, tell us about the first fun project then. Well, no, before that, uh, two news items. Oh, two news items. Sorry, getting, getting news out of the plate here. One, uh, we are on, we've been featured on uh, Mark LePage's uh, podcast, Entree Architect. It's out today, Friday too. So if you want to go over to his uh, podcast, go have a listen. He also has a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other interviews that are very good. He's a great podcast uh, if you haven't listened to him. So that's number one. Number two, if you are transitioning to Revit, uh, go ahead, go to revitfurniture.com. We have free training there for you. You learn how to do a, a real cool cabin. You learn how to model basically like a building's built. You learn uh, schedules, uh, floor plans, roof plans, elevations, all that stuff. Whose golden voice do they get to hear? Do they get to hear my golden voice or do they get to hear your golden voice? My golden voice. Ah, Alex, golden you are, voice. well, ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat. Head, yes. on, head on over there. Yep. Um, not only that, uh, if you need furniture, families, templates, anything like that, we got them there. And then if you need additional training, um, it, 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 it's also there. And I just got informed that, uh, we have some pretty hilarious, uh, tutorials because apparently like sometimes my wife will come in and I'll say, (laughs) so I, I was starting off a project and I remember this piece of guys are telling me. So I go, oh, to start off your project, the first thing you have to do, and then my wife opened the door, I go, you have to greet your wife when she comes in. <laughs> so just hold on for one second. <laughs> and, jump back in. and my cat makes some appearances. So so uh, go on over there. Check those out. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so so like Alex mentioned, uh, we'll just jump right in. The first story I wanted to tell you guys about is... Um, so. Every year we try to do at least at least one fun project um, that is that is basically non-paid, but somehow they translate into paid gigs later on, yep. and it might be like five years down the road, right? Uh, the tiny houses, for instance, they didn't they weren't payable until six years down the road or something like that. Um, so the first one is, and it has to be it's a project that speaks to your soul, so something that you like to do or right. want to do or right. just come up with. Because if you're not getting paid for it, then you're gonna have to like it, yeah, or love it, both of them. I mean. Yep, exactly. The first what? one? So the first one, the, fr- <laughs> the first one that we're going to talk about today and uh, is so one fun story, one kind of like a horror story, uh, but not really a horror story, just kind of like a, like a weird anecdotal uh, former client story. And then the, the second one is another fun story um, that was responding to like uh, natural disasters. Yeah. So I, I just want to interject. Let's do the first two fun ones. And, and then, then do a crappy one. And then do the crappy one. Nice. Okay. And, and the crappy one is, uh, what do you do when someone asks for their money back? Yeah. How about that? Right? You think, uh, you think you've got this client um, all roped in, ready to go. You've got, you've got signatures. There's a contractual binding agreement. Yeah. You've provided services. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden they ask for your money back. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, diving into the fun projects up in Fargo, um, there's this blank space in the middle of downtown. It's on Broadway and is it third Broadway? No, 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 no. Oh, third, third Avenue. Yeah. Broadway and fourth Broadway and fourth. And it's basically a U.S. bank plaza. So Doug Burgum, who is now the governor. So this was years ago. Um, he's a very rich man. He started his own company. Microsoft bought him out for like a billion bucks. Um, he, he actually bought the, um, 
an old building that they were going to tear down. And it was a, an awesome flour mill. Wasn't it a flour mill? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gave it to the School of Architecture and said, here you go, do what you want with it. And it was it was our studios for, for NDSU architecture. So it was amazing. He, huge advocate for regrowing, uh, revitalizing downtown Fargo. Um, and now, obviously, North Dakota in general. Yep. yep. So he owns a lot of buildings in downtown Fargo. So this site, he put on a competition um, and basically invited, you know, whoever. I think there was, was there a monetary prize? I can't remember. It was a mon- there was a there was a monetary prize. You know, I don't know how much it was for. Maybe like a thousand dollars for the top prize, and then five hundred and two fifty. You know, as you go down the list. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> but then I, I thought I thought part of it was the biggest thing why they were doing this competition. Why a lot of people do is they are just trying to get ideas. Uh, as many uh, good ideas out as flush them out as possible. So I don't know how many people enter this, but you know, any design competition these days, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that enter it. Yep. Yep. And this actually kind of formed our um, ideas about when and why to do design competitions. So we we really liked this one because it was Fargo. Um, thought it'd be fun. We teamed up with um, one of our friends, Eric, uh, to do it. Um, and then was Perry in on it too? I thought I, I don't think I don't think Matt did he? Yeah, Perry did some renderings. Yeah, Perry he did. did some yeah. renderings. So, so uh, Alex and I, you know, even in our firm, we try to build a good team and get the best people we can on the team. Those guys were experts at modeling and rendering, yeah, um, really especially good. especially Matt Perry. Shout out to him. Uh, went to Vancouver Fam- Film School, which that's where people yep. go to learn to do like movies like The Matrix or, you know, crazy, yep. crazy Pixar stuff. And I'll give a shout out to Eric Albrightson because he was awesome, too, during that project. Um this is hilarious. I don't know if we gave him credit when it was on our day. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I, I thought we did, we did a really cool project. So we took the idea of a silo. Then we had one of our other friends, Blake Dinkins, go out because he was in North Dakota and take a picture of a silo out in North Dakota. And we did, we mimicked that shape, but we made it very modern. Um, then we took the, the flow of the river and like that was kind of our site plan. That was the genesis of our site plan. Um, and then we had like a, it had a movie theater and a skating rink. So it was really engaging to the street, but it was an all glass tower. And where that picture comes into play is that we, we broke the picture of the, because North Dakota has a great skyline, right? And it, and it's, it's actually pretty amazing to drive across. Um, and you wouldn't think so because when you hear about horror stories, normally you hear about Nebraska or Iowa. I've always been confused as a, so I was born and raised in North Dakota and then Alex came from Minnesota, right? So I've always been confused about why North Montana is the big sky state, and I've always considered North Dakota to be the big sky state because that's what's profound about North Dakota is this just giant expanse of land, sea, you know, land that looks like a, like the ocean because it's so huge. And so you have this you have this really big horizontal horizon line, and then the sunsets seem to last forever. Like in Colorado, they do not last forever because they go right down. There's past the mountains, you know, you don't see them. Yep. Um, Maybe because no one goes to North Dakota, so they don't know it. <laughs> it's a big sky. shout out North Dakota. <laughs> shout out, go a legendary. Um, so, anyways, we mimicked that with with that big horizon line, and then having a, a silo because that's what you see. Like those are the marker sim- symbols in North Dakota. So the picture we broke it up into like twelve or fifteen layers. However, however high our skyscraper. Imagine was. just like dumbing down a photo that you take of a landscape and to like pixels and colors. Exactly. So it was extremely pixelated. And then we took a color from each, you know, like a half inch up, an inch up, 
you know, if the picture was eight inches tall, like we went in increments and then those were the colors of our glass that went up there. Um, and as you're listening to this, if you, if you're by a computer, just maybe go to type in arc daily roots by F nine R O O T S. And you should be able to find the project still yep. on that website. And the name came from, I'm glad you asked Lance. The name came That's from. Why I'm here. Not only did did I think it was a good connection, like okay, it's the roots. It's like in Alex the center, claims to be a, like a, a great storyteller. So whenever we <laughs> come up, even though I came up with the title "Grow" for the skyscraper, I'm, I then I think this is him making up for that. That was probably your only good idea. It was the only. <laughs> idea. Uh, but we were watching Roots, the show. Oh, is that why? That time period. Really? <laughs> yep. Got it. <laughs> you went there. Okay. <laughs> who? Who was? You were watching it. Me and you. Really? We were watching that together. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. The, the TV show. Yeah. Not the movie. The series. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, after it was done, we did not win the competition. Um, One of our friends actually won the competition. Shout out Derek Maher. Shout out Derek Maher. I had a really cool. Really cool tower. Um, I don't know. The renderings were awesome. It just looked Scandinavian to me. But yeah. we did not win. We did not win, and that's not actually the point of the story. Yeah. The point is Derek Maher is better than both of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the point is um, two things. is Okay, that's dead. Uh, the, you, but you but we win. spent all of this time on this product, yep. which is essentially a, some kind of like a digital product. So what can we do with it from here? Like How could we use that as a tool? Yep. So basically, I just emailed Arc Daily. I found some editors or whatever, and I think it. No, nah, it probably wasn't our first one up on Arc Daily. Probably the next story was our first one. Do you remember which one came first? I, it was Roots. Yep. Okay, Roots came on first. Yeah. They thought it was cool. I told them the story of it, how it mimicked the river and the whole silo stuff. Excuse me. So they put it on Arc Daily, which was great because I would religiously look at Arc Daily, yep. and there was one other project. From that whole competition that made it on Arc Daily. There was another one? Yep. And I think it was maybe announcing the, the winners. Or maybe it even wasn't that. I just remember there was one more. Okay. Um, so it's weird because there was, I don't know, 200, 300 entries? I think 300 plus. Yep. Um, some of them really good. Obviously, you could say better than ours. I swear I swear. also the winner tried to get on Arc Daily and then they got rejected. So then we claimed that we actually won because then we got on Arc Daily. <laughs> that sounds oh, like something right. we do. <laughs> I swear that happened. Um, but, you know, maybe, re- regardless, uh, don't be afraid to then use that for something else. Like use that to get into something else, especially if you have a good idea. And the other thing that was weird too was um, obviously our friend. Did Derek win it? Yes. Oh, so, Okay. I thought, yes, he won it. Exactly. And then we thought, good Lord, why aren't you trying to push for a meeting to get an actual design commission on this? Like that could catapult you to be a principal, you know, go from an entry level person to be like in principal or a partner at a firm. Uh, I mean, to me, that's where I would have went. And we need Derek Maher on this podcast right now. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> to tell us and chime in. Yeah. To tell us what he did and what he didn't do. Yeah. Do you think he went and talked? No, he didn't. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to say he didn't. I'm pretty sure he didn't. Okay, we yeah. don't know yet. Well, in the show notes, we might put if he went and talked or not. There you go. Uh, I tried to talk with one of the main guys up that I know is Doug Burgum's right-hand man. Um, and we did get a meeting. Yeah, so we also got asked to go up and lecture at our alma mater. Um, it was kind of a one-time deal. We've been banging on the door ever since, giving him money, trying to come back there. No luck. Uh, Shout out to NDSU. <laughs> <laughs> but Alex, uh, um, every time we travel... 
every time we travel, Alex and I try to set up a meeting or do something business-wise, even if it's on, uh, even if it's just for pleasure, right? One time, Alex went to New York and landed a meeting with NBC. Yeah, that's true. Do you remember that? I don't yeah. even know. If, I don't even know how else we even bring up that story. So, but I know that that meeting happened after we did uh, Arc Daily, the the Roots project, uh, and then got put on Arc, Arc Daily. So I don't know if it spurred that meeting to go talk with NBC. What the heck was that meeting for? Um, it was maybe for tiny houses. It was after because we were up in the new office. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a cool kind of tangent. Tell us that story. Honestly. Uh, um, so I don't know if you remember it all. They were contacting us to be on one of these shows. They were going to make, they were going to make an architecture show or something. It wasn't necessarily tiny house. And I think they just wanted, it was going to be tiny spaces, I think. Yeah. Tiny spaces. And they're like, Hey, we're just thinking about, we're just reaching out. And I said, Hey, I'll be in New York in four days. Why don't I come meet you? And they said, yes, they said, <laughs> look at the power of just asking what can it hurt to ask a question? I think it's yeah. like all the, all the meetings and opportunities that we've gotten. I'm just always blown away about like, how did you, how, how do you teach it at C- university of Colorado? We had sent an email. Yep. We sent an email and said, Hey, can we help out? Yep. And then the timing was right. And they said, perfect. Can you teach this course? Yep. And here we are. And what was super cool about that? Two things. Um, I think I was going for like Jordan's bachelor party or, yeah. or something like that. It was a bachelor party. And uh, I got to his house. I, I swear it was Jordan. Maybe it was Chia. And they're like, okay, what are you doing today? Because I got there earlier than everyone else. I go, well, I got a meeting at NBC. And they're like, oh, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> Literally Rockefeller's, Rockefeller's well, yep. s- square, right? Yep. The, like 35th floor or something like that. It was so cool because I was walking in there and you, and know, you got, didn't, the you, didn't you get your little security name I tag? My little security. They printed out a thing. It said my yeah. name. And I'm like, yeah, I got a meeting here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was telling clients, like, yeah, my business partner's meeting with the NBC right now. Yeah. It's not a big deal. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I'm just doing menial work while he's doing that, but still. Yep. Um, nothing really came from that except that really cool story. Um, <laughs> and then a point. So I got this advice, and I want to give it to everyone else. So when I was applying to New York, and I think you did the same thing to here in Colorado. And we know from hiring people, because sometimes we get applications from all over. Not even sometimes, all, all the time. All the time, yeah. all the time. And if it's someone on the fence, like, uh, you're just as good as these two other guys, we might not call you back, or we might just interview the Colorado guys and see if it's a fit and then just hire them. So what was great, one of our employees, Jackson, did this, and I did this to New York, is when I sent out applications, I said, I am coming to yeah, New York. Jackson did this, and it was very smart. Yep. During the week of the, you know, whatever. And yeah. it was my spring break. And, and, I, and I said, also, I am moving to New York regardless of this internship. And I think, honestly, that idea of, of giving employers you know, this, hey, here, here I am. Here's what I do. Uh, I'm interested in working for your firm. Here's the window. I think it was. I think we were just both doing our portfolios at the same town, and we kind of, kind of came to this conclusion together. Like, let's just do that. Yeah. That makes sense to us. Let's just do that. Our spring break is not going to be going to Cancun. It's going to be focusing on how do we get this job. Yep, exactly. So I, th- I got three interviews because of that, and and honestly, I don't think maybe I would have just got one. I would have maybe just got one if it if I didn't say that I will be here doing this. Um, and then Jackson, same thing. I don't even know if, if he was on the fence or not, but he said, I am coming down to Colorado. So we're like, okay, might as well. Interview. And it obviously works because, because it did work for Alex. It did work for me. It did work for Jackson, but it worked. It, it's proof that it worked because I remember all of our other colleagues doing, trying to do the same thing we were doing, not saying they were going to be down here during this time. They would just send 
their resume and everything out and not give the window. And then they never got any interviews. I, re- I remember people specifically asking me, like, how do you have seven interviews lined up? You know, and then I told them the method afterwards. Because I lined it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I literally lined it up. Okay, what do you think about this advice, Lance? Because let's say I wasn't going to New York for that trip anyways. Um, and we realized, just to let you guys know, for the we've been on HGTV. I don't know if we've mentioned that, but probably should have. Um, but there was multiple producers before that ha- that have contacted us. They even did what's called a sizzler. Yep. Uh, so they came out and spent like, I've got to imagine, a fair amount of money and time. And Filming we did we day. did kind of a, like a mini episode. I wish we had it because Alex ended up jumping in the in the. Um, he, the he pretend lost the bet and he had to jump in the river. Yeah. Um, so they spent, you know, a couple thousand dollars filming us for a whole day, th- making this whole thing. It was a different production company that we did nothing with ever again. Um, NBC went nowhere. Um, and then this other one that we did finally got, did get somewhere, but here, here's, here's the maybe advice. And I don't know what it would rely to these other people, maybe just job interviews or a big client. Let's say a big client says, yeah, you know, I'm in New York. I'm thinking about your firm or whatever. Would you just say, or would we just say, like, oh, I'm flying there in a week. Might as well meet you. Yeah. Even if you're not. Even if you're not. I I mean, so what do I think of that advice? Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not just waste your money? <laughs> Who cares? Just listen. <laughs> <laughs> Why not try it? I don't know. I say give it a go. If it, But for Lance and I, it well, one, you wouldn't be able to talk to your partner over the phone, except sometimes you can write little stuff. So it would have to be something that was very strong, like... For us, it would have to be, hey, we're looking at museums and or, or something cool, and we came across your website, and we really like... We're going to do... How about this one? We're going to do... This is plausible. We're going to do a village in New York of 20 tiny houses. We want them to be all unique. We think you guys are the world, world-renowned world experts. Yep. We're, but we're looking at these other firms. Qualifiers would be... You have to ask some qualifiers, guys. Uh, do you have a budget, or are you a bum? <laughs> Meaning Do like, you have land? Yep. Um, or are you just calling, are they just calling for advice? You know, like literally they would have to have, they'd have to be an established legitimate thing. So like if it was, if it was uh, MoMA and they're like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have someone build for these, for an know, exhibition. We're, we're thinking, you know, we got a 150,000 for each person. I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm flying out to New York next week. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah, weird, <laughs> weird, weird. We haven't just for the record though, we haven't done that, but I think Alex is like, you know, he's reaching a bit here. And projecting, but it's not a bad project. I mean, you get the thought process. It's a thought it. experiment. Exactly. Yeah, it's literally inside the firm. What we would talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name of the podcast. Yeah. Um, do you want to go anywhere further with roots? No, I think that was just a really good. Again, the reason why we talked about that is, it, 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 who cares if it's a failure? Who cares if it was a failure? Yeah. And I think it was a good idea. It was obviously not the best idea for the people judging the contest, but it was definitely a good idea recognized by a world-renowned website, arcdaily.com. And then here's the other thing is that our friend won. Other people, like the top three, it, it comes down to, you know, it's literally judgment and who, who they like. Totally, right? totally subjective. I'm sure the top 10 were amazing. You know why they actually didn't? So I've heard this from multiple people. Too. The reason why they didn't pick ours, they loved our concept. They hated the colors. Yeah. <laughs> Which was hilarious. We had, we had a pink streak, streak in there too. I think they really didn't like that. And uh, and you know what? Even back to this. So that was, I think, us thinking, oh, we did a pink sky in our skyscraper. That was totally weird. But totally awesome. And then we thought, oh, well, let's keep doing that or something like that. Like, it's okay, but, you know, it's not You know what's so funny? What? It may have not got us in first, second, or third, 
but it did get it as an arc daily. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Here's, but the point about competitions is that there was multiple local people that were obviously in the top five and the Doug Burgum did hire a firm to do a plan for it. And he was going to try to get money. I don't know. You know, he's governor now, so who knows what he's doing, but that firm was on at Minneapolis. It was some big time firm. I'm, I know I'm pretty, I'm probably 90% positive that they did not enter the competition and did not place even close. So other than the monetary reward, and maybe you can use it as some side business. So I would still recommend doing it. And maybe you want 5,000 bucks, but you're obviously going to put way more, time way in. more time. What that's what we don't see about competitions. Like unless if we win, are you going to hire us? Nope. Okay. Then why are we doing it? Yeah. 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 We had a potential employee uh, we interviewed. Um, we interviewed recently, and th- that was one of the things that came up. Is you know, it was a good idea. The guy, the the guy's a very ambitious guy, and said, "Hey, well, you know, could we do these competitions?" And we kind of gave him the same kind of spiel. Like if if you found one that's maybe local and is actually within like our residential realm of what we do, and and it would turn into a commission. Okay, we could see ourselves, you know, throwing yeah. our hat in the ring. And, and the other reason why we aren't so keen on competitions, um, even though we did one, but it was for our home city, you could call it our home city, we, seven sure. years there, um, it's because we can just make up fun projects ourselves, like the Doomsday Dwellings. The like the Flood house, house. Like the Flood House, which is our next. <laughs> what a segue. What a segue. What a segue. <laughs> so Flood House. I, this is the podcast of Al. Why did Flood House happen? Okay. Flood House happened uh, because North Dakota floods. <laughs> But didn't you, okay, but you adapted that design, right? Yeah. Okay. So in my thesis, which even though Lance won the thesis award, mine was obviously better. Crushed. Crushed. Mine was obviously better. And uh, I did alleyway houses. And one of the ideas for an alleyway house is is that it's limited space. So this flood, this, this house, one of the five houses that I designed was basically on stilts so that you could park garages under there. And I even used that when I went to interview in New York. Uh, the principal said, can you sketch something on the fly to a client? I said, of course I can. He goes, okay, sketch me your thesis. Literally threw Alex the pad of paper. Yep. And, yep. and I practiced it which beforehand, so I just nailed it, and uh, they gave me a big offer, which I immediately turned down to go to Liebskin. <laughs> for no money. <laughs> for, for very, very little money. Very, very little money. Um, so then that was, you know, that house, that design had, had, had already been existed, already did it. And North Dakota had a huge flood in Fargo. I think it was 2010. Is that where? Yep, 2010. Yep. Um, I think 90,000 people from other places came to help. Yeah, um, which is, just so everybody, people who aren't from there, that's how much population is there. Yep. So you have double the population coming in to help the current population, 90,000. And one of my professors said that since the Great Pyramids not and the, uh, the Pyramids and the Great Wall of China, not that many people have been working on one project at one time. Wow. Because 90,000 people, you probably can't count. And there's more. never been that that much uh, concentrated levels of hot dish. Hot dish. In one area. Hot dish. Go <laughs> to the north. Tater tot hot dish. Get yourself some hot dish. It's casual. So North Dakota was flooding. And uh, it was just, I mean, obviously crazy. You should just, if you do 2010 flood North Dakota, Fargo, whatever, you'll see the pictures. Um, Grand Forks flood even before that was was huge. Um, so I called up the newspaper and I said, hey, I have a design for a flood house, flood proof house. Will you publish it? And they said, yes. So I immediately took that old design. I 
I put it in a setting. I rendered the, the interior wasn't rendered. So I did the whole interior. I made graphics about how, you know, it's metal on the sides and how there's solar panels on top. And the back deck is actually a boat lift, you know, all this cool stuff. And that got into the paper. And then that got republished from the Fargo Inform to the Rochester Post Bolton. Then it got somehow, we put it on the web, of course. It went viral. <laughs> Luxury Home Quarterly put it in a, a put, put it in their magazine. B1 Magazine out of Thailand because they had a whole bunch of floods. Put it in their magazine. There was like a six-page spread. I don't even know where that magazine is. It should be up there. Oh, right oh it is. There it is. Yeah, it's right here. Did you really yeah you, you flipped through it. Um, it's near the back okay. after halfway. Okay. So be a, a, a huge architecture magazine. Um, there it is. That was it? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many page? One, two. Just two. Ah. You're drunk. But a two-page spread in any design magazine. I think we, we've looked at advertising before for like a local magazine, and it was about $1,500 per page. Yep, yep. Um, so if you, if you want to see Flood House... It might be on our blog post. It's on Arc Daily. But it's also on Arc Daily. That's true. Arc Daily picked it up. Floodhouse F9 Arc Daily. Yeah. Um, I actually think, so what I think happened, not that it really matters, is uh, it went to the papers first. Then Alex again submitted it to Arc Daily because we already had the connection. So there you go. Maybe that's a, a good segue to see even the connections that you get from all these little things start accumulating, right? And then all the, the international magazines kind of picked it up from there. Yeah. Yeah, we still haven't built it. We still want to build it. Uh, Very cool. If you want to build it, contact us. F9productions.com. And didn't I swear? Didn't we almost get in the local paper for it too because of the flood in 2013 in Lyons? Yeah, something I like that. Got that. And I almost wanted one of our clients in Boulder to build it. Yeah, yeah. But you yelled at me for being too big of an A. Oh like yeah. Capital A architect. Capital A architect. Yeah. But that's because we just got burnt on a different house where we were doing that. Yeah. So. You should always let me be a A. Capital A architect. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't like. I, <laughs> I hate that stereotype. Uh, literally, drop, drop the, drop the act. You know, big A architect. I actually think uh, the best clients, the best designs that we've had so far, are when the clients push us to be more big A architects, like Jazz House. If you go to, if you go to our website, take a look at Jazz House. Yeah. That one was an absolute like the guy verbatim says. I want this. I want people to come around the corner, look at the house, and it to be known as the Jazz House. Like it can't get more, you know. Hey, this needs to be a rock star, yeah, project compared to any other ones. Um, so good, good, good stuff about uh, what doing fun stuff and how it can turn into just a, a media blitz. Maybe it gets you recognized, and maybe somebody sees the crazy cool design that you came up with. But at the end of the day, uh, they just want somebody who thinks out of the box. They don't want that particular crazy crazy designs is too expensive but they at least want somebody who is innovative and will think outside of the box and you end up you end up getting hired and stuff like that yep um plus it's validation i mean like right behind where we're sitting right now is in our conference room and right behind me we have a little mantle it's above a fireplace and we've got magazines that we've been in up up there and stuff like that books it, that we've been in yeah books and public being published there's a validation to that when you're trying to sell a client and you say like, oh yeah, just go look us up online. Just Google me. You Google me, Google Alex, Google F9, and you'll find us all over the web. Yep. So it just makes you look more legitimate, even though you might be like a startup at that yeah. point. It won an award. We have an award up there for it too. So all good stuff. All good stuff. Uh, so <laughs> where's your segue here? Where's your segue <laughs> here? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> all I got, all I got is a weird story. Yeah. What's your weird story? What's your uh, weird story, Lance? So I don't. 
when we were first starting out, uh, we were always happy to get any, I mean, we would almost take anything. Uh, we did have the, we already t- told you guys about the story where we got burned and then we started like really researching clients and stuff like that. But this, this particular client, um, was up in North Dakota. He <clears throat> was actually, I didn't feel like we needed to research the person because they were a friend that I grew up with my whole life. And, but, uh, this at least turned us on to start asking questions to potentials to see if they are legitimate clients. Like Alex mentioned earlier, like, do you have land to build what the heck you want to build? So <clears throat> we get inquiries all the time from all these different, all these different places, you know, all, 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 we're all over the internet. So who knows how people get to us, um, unless we're directly marketing to them. So we did, we, we were doing a custom house up there. They were actually really cool designs, and we were super excited about it because this was 2010. North Dakota was going through a massive oil boom, and we were just we were dying down in Colorado. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing happened until like when we started the firm in 2010. Call it 2010 to 2013. Alex and I were just scraping by, paid ourselves very little, didn't give out any bonuses, nothing like that. Didn't have any employees, but we were we were just sitting back and watching North Dakota explode up there. Like the population in the town I lived in. Uh, used to live in Williston, went from 15,000 when I was a kid up to like 30,000. So we finally got a call from somebody that said, hey, I want to do a custom house. And we thought, great, for, finally, we're going to bust into this market. We're going to start doing custom houses up there. All these people with oil money, they have, they have nothing better to spend it on. would be the greatest thing ever. And it was actually one of the biggest commissions we had up to that date. Like it was a fair amount of cash that, that we had in the contract. So uh, we were going up to North Dakota. Uh, not specifically to meet this client, but I think this is one of those. We were going up there for the summer to do something, and then... Oh, no, it was paddle, maybe paddle fishing. It was paddle fishing or 4th of July, but I want to say paddle fishing. It was paddle fishing, because you, you, you hadn't came up to 4th of July until you brought Annie. Yeah. So every year we go up to North Dakota with our with our buddies. Some of them we've already mentioned on this podcast. Derek, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we do it. We It's all of uh, the people we went to school with. Um, and we, we just hang out for, for a weekend and go fishing, right? So we were going up there, and I got a call the week before, two weeks before, from this from from this guy and said he wanted to build a custom house for his family. Young family. They had tons of money because with, with the oil boom, it was going crazy. And I, we said, oh, whoa, look, at, we're, we're, we're headed up to North Dakota. Why don't we try to meet? Uh, what a coincidence, blah, blah, blah. So we met, we met him. It was a great meeting. They actually took us up to the land that we assumed that they owned. Uh, and I, I say that I say, like assumed that they owned. Um, showed them the contract; they loved it. It actually wasn't too difficult to work in that kind of a distance because they were younger. They were pretty computer savvy. Came up with three or four, I think three, three, three. super cool designs. One was like, one was like uh, just this giant Americana house. Another one was kind of like this modern farm. cowboy house farm, and then one was like a super pure modern shape or something like that. Yeah, massive, awesome house. We worked. The, we we give them the first set of the designs, and um, and then we hit like a stopping point because then we put together a spreadsheet for them and said like this is what we think it'll cost to build. So nothing really happened, and they they just kind of went away for a while, um, not because they didn't like the designs or anything like that. It was just well, I don't know. Maybe sometimes, honestly, sometimes clients take a break. You send something to them, and you think they're going to get back to you next week, and it takes them a month. Who knows what can happen in their personal lives? Uh, one of the big ones that we see that it just happens no matter what is it's a husband and a wife, and they need they need time to kind of like work it out because the wife thinks one thing, the husband thinks another yeah. thing. Like it's that kind of relationship with residential. Yeah. So uh, nothing happened for a couple months. 
this was in the summer when we designed these and I think it was October. And so, uh, once we got, once we finally got a call back from them, Alex and I were walking from my apartment to go get, uh, my son at school. It was only like six blocks away or something like that. I distinctly remember walking when I got the call. So I got the call and I said, Hey, Hey Lance, this is, this is so-and-so. I'll just call in to, you know, yada, yada, to talk about, talk about the designs and everything. And I go, Oh, great. Well, have you guys decided on one? Cause usually what we'll do for a house is we'll give them like two or three options. Usually at this point now, it's kind of just two. Um, but sometimes it's three. In this case, it was three. And the guy goes, well, um, I'm just calling to see if I can get my money back. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously a shock. <laughs> I mean, I was completely, completely stunned. 100% stunned because in my mind, in my mind, we delivered exactly what we said we were going to deliver in the contract to a T. I mean, we said three options that we're going to have a meeting with you. Floor plans, they had elevations, so we physically drew the floor plans, skinned it, put in windows, packaged it all up, probably wrote a nice email explaining each one. We actually went up and met with them in person and presented those options. I just think about that. Yeah, so all that time, all that time, and that's what you're billing for because you're giving a service is time. Yeah. Understandably, I get, I could see where some clients might get confused. And, and here's what I've always thought about it is that I think, I think they think I don't have a product at the end of the day. I don't have the building, so why should I pay you for it? Well, you're not paying me to build the building. You're paying me to design the building, right? Yeah. Do you ever wonder if it has to do with the amount of white space? Because this just came in my head. Uh, white space on drawings? White space on drawings. Hmm. Because it's... Like psychologically. Psychologically. Maybe. Because if you buy uh, an app or like something, something like paper assets um, or even like a contract, like even just think about a sheet of paper. And it, it, it's what, at least 50% white? Or it looks like because it's all right. Oh, I bet. I bet most pieces of paper are more than more than 50% white. Yeah. Huh. Uh, like with writing on them. Contracts, whatever. Contracts. So so I'm just trying to think like there seems to be a real disconnect because people just think that architecture drawings aren't aren't worth anything. And and I think maybe it's a when, white space. When actually even banks consider them collateral. Like if you go to yeah. a development you can use that as collateral. <laughs> and, and, and I, I have de- developers right now who say not, not even joking, like, Oh yeah, no, it's just lines, lines on paper, just lines on paper. Just lines so on paper. If you, and it, that, it actually is, you could reduce it to that. Like you could reduce anything to that. Right. Uh, well, yeah. Art, art is just uh, paint on paper. That's it. But not as much white space. True. Yeah. I have a different theory about art. I feel like they're building, uh, buying the, the soul and the time of that artist and that's why it's worth so much because they literally like it goes that deep psychologically so and, because, may- and then and then that's why because some art some art you know you could say sucks or not but you know a lot of times it's based on who the artist is yeah. and how much value they provide so like i bought four weeks of lance psycho I've bought four weeks of a land cycle and it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. That's probably, I think that's a, like, I would call that a pretty high brow thought. I mean, you know what I mean? I think the low brow thought would be like where, where you kind of were getting to it was, Oh, I have a Van Gogh. So you get to say you have a Van Gogh. Yeah. But you bought, you bought Van Gogh's life during that time. That's interesting. You bu- and that's why it's so worth like the most famous person ever. Just like, when uh, did you have this white space idea? Just now? Just now. Hmm. There just might now. be some validation to that. Yeah. Um, but I like the art thought too. Because I think that's real. Because even even think about like, I don't know anyone. Fa- uh, Benjamin Franklin, like, if you if you not just buy his book, but like his handwriting, like it's tied to a specific piece. 
where like he took, you could go into, you can be in that week. Yeah. You know, that's what's crazy. And maybe it's a certain kind of even reflects like what the hell the artist is going through and stuff like that. Whereas a house, I mean, or any building, like we're not, we're not showing our emotions through that typically. And what's weird too, is that like, if you think about it as, as just lines, you think about it as how much it's worth for those lines. And somehow you're not conveying that. Oh, the way that this room square lines up with the exterior and relates to your pool on the outside took thought. And that equals time. Like, I don't know. I think there's something to this. I don't, I wish we could crack this little code here. Hmm. How do you convey more value? God, maybe we need to just, what if we started reducing the amount of white space somehow? We just, in, just as in, a just inverted our drawings in Photoshop or, or to even, black to white lines, of black paper. No, but even putting the uh, 3d pictures like on every one and it's taking up half of the drawing, half of the drawing. I don't know. And then, oh, and then, so what, just never do a presentation with more than 50. Okay. Yeah. Cause the 3d 50. image is obviously that's kind of close to a painting, right? Yep. It's just, it's, there's no white space except for the white space that's around it. Yep. But a piece of like, if it's a floor plan, well, there's white space permeated all throughout the whole thing. And what, so, so I'm going to play devil's advocate after this thought too. What if also, since we always have general notes and we always have, you know, all this other stuff and normally we boil it down. So we take all those out right away. But what if those are on there too? So like you're filling up space. So like, <laughs> because honestly, because you, when, when we're designing and drawing, like all that is going through our head. Yeah. Does this meet zone cone? Does it meet setback? Does it, does it do that? All this stuff is, is all playing in, but they don't see that. They just see a floor plan and then maybe an elevation or two. But the other crazy part now is, are you overwhelming them? Like there's your well, devil's advocate. The, I'll, I'll, there you go. I'm going to go with your devil's advocate on that one is we've had contractors. We've had contractors say they, some of them, the most recent ones are just, this is a 75 year old project manager on a custom house for doing it in Erie, Colorado. And he is gushing over our over our, all of our plans because there is so much detail, especially with the structure with the structural drawings. Like I've you can't the these are some of the most beautiful structural drawings that I've ever, I've ever done. He loves them, but we've had other contractors just get us to try to reduce down to the bare minimum. So I don't know who are we really trying to play. Well, <laughs> not play, but play too. I don't know. I think it's worth an experiment somehow. I don't know how you do it though. Like it'd have to be such a grand experiment that like you'd have to take 20 clients over two years and see, you know, versus okay, we're doing 50% more black space and the other 20 clients are doing 50% white space or, you know, or normal. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Throw it at me. I'll dodge, duck, and, dodge, um, and we, duck. We, and we've never done this. What if we, what if we started giving them models? Physical models? Well, I've always said we should have a 3D printer. That's what Josh just said today. And our new thing. So we just show even, even a, a concept. Of, you know, it's just a simple concept. So then they have something tangible every time. Because especially if we make, if we mass it out. Just do it. It's simple massing. Yeah. You just set it and forget it overnight and it can just print the thing. Like I wonder, that might, that might, I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have still convinced this client who, I'm t- who the story yeah. started from. Like you got a product at the end of the day. I, I, I was just back to that story though. Go ahead. Maybe not all the. Um, all the general notes and all that stuff, but maybe just like it's a huge image on each sheet, a huge image on each sheet and a model. Yeah. Okay. So going back to the client, <laughs> the big, <laughs> those, the big, the big lesson that I learned and Alex did too from that one. And maybe he, uh, he even will add one to this is, uh, 
don't don't assume that anybody who contacts you actually has a space leased out, a piece of land that they have purchased. So what happened at the end of the day was I said, well, I delivered everything per the contract, so I'm not giving you your money back. It's already spent. I like this is all written in the contract. And it by the way, it never got legal or anything like that. He he totally understood at the end of the day. Um but I had then I at the end of the conversation I had to ask him, "What so why aren't you guys moving forward?" And he goes, "Oh, we never got the land." So we were designing a house on a piece of land for somebody who never even purchased it. What's and I mean, we didn't I just assumed that they had purchased the land. And know what? We've had to learn this semi twice um, because a recent client who we will not name um, and Lance could probably speak more to this. They didn't know their exact boundaries of what they purchased. So we just assumed that that was established when really it was not what they thought. Yeah. So like somehow like we really <laughs> land setbacks, all that stuff is, is really key. Yeah. And, and so in the past year I've, uh, we advertise on thumbtack.com. I hope they become a sponsor because they're awesome. Yep. Um, they, I get, I get inquiries over the internet all the time. Like most of our marketing, if you can't tell by now is internet marketing is we're not going out there and pounding the pavement, even though we're going to start doing more than that. They, uh, I get inquiries like crazy inquiries from people that say like, I'm going to, I want to start up and do 20 tiny houses and stuff like that. And you can tell, I can just tell by their sentiment in the email that it's, oh, you're you're excited about this. You want to do it. And then I just ask some simple questions like, hey, do you have land in hand purchased? You know, like a very simple, just one liner. I'm interested yep. in meeting, but just curious, do you have land in hand for this development? Yep. And I've had several come back to me and say, nope, I don't. And, it, then, and then I've told them, okay, that's great. Once you get to that point, get back in touch with us. And and some of them have, some of them have. Yep. There, there was even one, one gentleman that was in here, I think, early January, actually a pretty reputable designer. He wants to do a, um, uh, a cabin in the mountains, but it's going to be a shipping container. We're finally going to get to do one of those. Hopefully he didn't have land. I was very polite about it. And I said, okay, I can't give you, I can't really give you a price or firm anything up until you go with the land. Totally understood. So I think you're not going to be insulting if you say it, but do not assume that people have everything ready to go, including funds too. Fun yeah. funds are a big one. It's almost equivalent to people just saying their dreams and then you got to vet if this dream is real or not. So it's like going to a, a dealership and saying, I want a Jaguar. Okay. Can you afford a Jaguar? No. <laughs> then, then, then we don't need to be talking to you. And you can say it like Lance's in, in a nice way. I don't think they do that as much for, you know, a Jaguar, but sometimes Ooh, that But here's what you made me think of was real estate, like real estate. So my fiance is a real estate, soon to be wife is a real estate, um, real estate professional. And she had to learn a lesson too the last couple last year. <laughs> she had a couple clients she thought were ready to go and buy these houses and go put offers on it, and they didn't go get pre-qualified. So like you didn't even their their credit was awful. So I think this lesson applies to anybody who's dealing with any kind of clients. Is good lord like vet them see see how do, how how do you vet somebody politely? Yeah, was that North Dakota trip the same one where we met that developer? Oh, the crazy, the crazy developer. Yeah. yeah. The wall of trees. So that was an insane, that was an, yeah, that's exactly what it was. So we met this other developer. He wanted to take advantage of the oil boom. He came basically from the forestry in industry out in like Oregon out there. Yep. And he was trying to transition. And the cool thing that I remember about him, and I actually think it's true. You might take this negatively, but I, I never did. He goes, you realize trees are weeds. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, what? He's like, no, if you plant them in the right place or, or if you just have the right location, like 
they're just going to grow. Yeah. Like, he goes, there's a reason why we call it the wall of wood Yeah, out, out in the Northwest Pacific. And especially if, if, if you think about, if you live in places where there's a lot of trees, Minnesota, up north in Canada, I think that rings true, right? Um, but anyways, he, he, he was a little bit crazy. We met a developer down uh, in, in Denver. Denver that was just super crazy. Just, just like, oh my God, you're just all over the place. Uh, I don't even want to go. Do you want to say anything about that? The looks, he, the just. He showed up in a, a little Porsche. You could tell, like, beat this, up. This this guy is your typical guy that thinks he that thinks he has money and pretends that he has money, and just like, he's kind of a sleaze ball. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Lance and I have always questioned, like, do you have to be crazy to be a developer? Because oh yeah. Do you have to be crazy? Because you're taking a lot. You're taking a giant risk yep. doing this. So you are speculating millions of dollars that somebody's going to buy your product yep. for more money than you put into it. And our other idea, our other idea is like, oh, if these developers are crazy, then maybe we can do it because we're not crazy. Hopefully we're not crazy, right? <laughs> and I and, and and that's the segue into what we're doing now. Like we are trying to become developers. So we will see if it's a prerequisite to be crazy. Maybe we're not crazy enough. Maybe, maybe or maybe we have to get crazier. Maybe we have to get crazier. Yeah. So how do you transition and how do you start in this developer role? And I think the first thing is that it starts way before you think. And it starts with establishing your business, establishing the line of credit, all that stuff. So like if, if, if you don't have that, I don't see a viable way for you to transition. So Lance and I had to build up our cash reserves over time so that we could start looking for land. And I even have a folder. Like we're always just like, we have land in the back of our head. We yeah. have that idea. I don't know what spurred us to look for this lot. Do you remember what spurred us? Why, why we are looking for it? Or was it just because it was time? You mean it was, it was, it was just time. It was time. Um, but it was before the, the, the tiny houses that we built last year. Yeah. I just, I just got fed up with not doing it and, and saying like, okay, now it's time. So, because in my, this, my mind, the sequence of like how this works is, uh, you know, we build up the firm. Okay. Lance get, get licensed. Okay. And then after you get licensed, your next big task is you are going to become a developer. That's how it's going to work. And I think actually it came from us walking to Santiago's and seeing that that lot was for sale. So the lot between us and Santiago's um, was, it was like 500,000. So like we, we tested it out, we did some designs on it. And then I think that's what spurred us. And then we like kept our eye open. And then we saw one that was more affordable. Remember somehow that came across our plate. Yeah. And we offered the same amount um, as, as the other guy and we got turned down. So this was what? October. This September? is October. 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 Last year. October of last year, we put an, we put an offer yeah. on this land. It's a it's a point three seven acres, not a huge lot. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why we get beat out is because the other guy came in with cash, and cash is king. Why would you take a financed offer over cash? I actually have I actually met with a client yesterday on the fly. I convinced them to put an offer on this house that they're going to demo. We're going to build a new. We're going to do a new one for yeah. them. To they were like, should we finance or should we go cash? Like, do you guys have cash? And they go, oh yeah. And I go, do cash. $500,000 decision like that. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot to tell you about that. Yeah. Marilyn, I almost fell over last night when she was making dinner and I told you that. I lost out on my first house. The same thing. It was cash. Same price. They just took cash. Yep. It's crazy. Um, so then, you know, that other guy got it and Lance and we went back and we're doing our own thing. And then this year shows up and the guy that got it basically said like he, he uh, had some health issues don't need to go into it. Don't really need to know. And he just has to, has to offload load it. So he goes, will you give us this amount? And then 
I quickly looked and we'll tell you some of the metrics that we look at. And I said, yes, we can. So then Lance immediately went and we, I guess we should slow this all down. I guess I'm going too fast here because when you're looking at land, what are you looking at? Yeah. Right? And how do you, and so exactly what, 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 if you're looking at any kind of piece of real estate, but specifically land, yep. what is the metric to make you, what is the number compared to what to make you purchase this land? Like where it's, you say, this is a good idea. This is, this is how the whole development could be profitable. Yep. Yep. So we had two trains of thoughts. Um, and we were both on the same page and it just depended on what opportunity because Lance was thinking like, let's do some fix and flips. And my only, and, and the reason why we thought about fix and flips is because when we first started looking in October, it just, we got dejected because like, wow, we can, we can, we can actually get finance for this amount of money, but then cash is going to beat us every time. Right. There's no way we can even compete. So screw it. We're going to do it the slow way. Like all the other developers, which a lot of our developers have taken this route is they just do fix and flips for like three, four or five years, yep. build up their cash reserves, build up their cash reserves. So then they can come in and be those cash people. Yep. And I always wanted to do it just because I thought it was easier. You could do four or five fix and flips, or you could do, you could buy a lot and do four or five units and the union units would be from scratch. And honestly, to me, that's easier. Like that is from scratch. Yeah, I agree. It is. It's so much yeah. easier. We work with one designer where she, she loves doing remodels in Denver. And I'm like, why don't you love new construction? She's like, isn't it harder? No, it's easier. No. <laughs> <laughs> Way easier. So, um, basically this, so fix and flips would be easy. Something we know we both have construction experience. And then the other thing we're looking for is, is project types that we've done before. So we entertain the ideas. We do a lot of assisted look, living facilities so could we put assisted living facilities yeah it was actually zoned for that yeah but then we thought is like do we want to manage that yeah i don't think so yep and the other thing we do a lot of is townhomes so this one fits townhomes so like we are very very comfortable in townhomes and residential design so it's it's not a leap or or scary or anything like that alex really actually knows the codes backwards and forth uh, forwards and backwards and he's kind of like taking gonna be taking the lead on well he has taken the lead on all the code analysis and everything and rope the whole thing in from yep. the get-go so yep. comfort zone is huge comfort zone is huge so you're looking at a piece of land can it fit what you know how to do okay that's number one and then two is the price right so how do you know if the price is right if it's a hundred thousand three hundred thousand what does that mean what is the where what is the magical number yep. uh that you go to like some seminar read some book and you're looking for that number throughout the whole book yep. and, and alex is going to give it to you the number in colorado is 18 percent. okay it's 18 percent. if you did basically all of, take all of your construction but hard costs uh even even soft costs not what you're going to sell it for because there's going to be profit exactly so let's say let's say all the hard costs to do your development are one million dollars what yep. do you want what do you want the land for al 18 percent of that 18% of that. Okay. So that's the number you, you're looking for. And let, we got to stress this. That's for Colorado. You're going to like, yep. honestly, if you were looking in some other state, I would just encourage if you want to be, if you're going to be a developer, the way Alex got that number is he went and asked other developers. I just, I, I just literally asked. Once again, just don't, don't undervalue the, the power of just asking. <laughs> yep. Yep. So honestly, like once every couple months, I'll ask uh, another question too. And then I think Lance sometimes is surprised at my knowledge and it's only because I just asked other people like I got, I got another tidbit for you later. Okay. Um, so 18%, is it in that? Another way you can look is that 
public records, there's public records of sales, right? And you can normally get that through your county or your city. So it can say how much lots went for. And your, your real estate agent should tell you that regardless. Yep. So you could bro- break that down into square feet or cost per acre, right? And then you could just see if you're comparable to everyone else. And it's called, the industry term is a comp. What is the comp on this? Yep. So when people, you know, to break it down to like a house, if you go to buy a house and you say, and you're going to put an offer on it, you say like, what are the comps on that? So then you can say, what are the, what are the recent sales of that house or piece of land yep. compared to what I'm going to offer? Am I offering too much or am I in a sweet spot? Yep. Yep, exactly. So someone else is doing townhomes. Um, they buy, you know, five acres for 500,000 and you have an acre and you get it for under a hundred thousand. You're sitting pretty, pretty sitting pretty, pretty, right? You Cause you, cause even if you're, feet. cause even if you're thinking about it as a long-term investment asset and we do, we do have that in the back of our minds just in case the economy crashes. Like, I don't know, maybe we'll just hang on to this land if it's not the time to build once we even get our building permit. Yep. Yep. So, um, 18% cost per square foot or per acre. And then the next thing you need to know if, if you're going to purchase it, um, well, you have to figure out how many units you can fit on it, right? So if you got an acre and you can fit eight units and they have five acres and they can do eight times five, whatever that is, you know, then you're, you're talking pickles, right? Um, so for, for all of these though, I would, you really, the, one of the first things, even before all this stuff is you get a real estate professional that is going to work with you and that is res- very responsive to the point where you can call them, text them, email them. They're, they're right there all the time. I need an offer on today. Exactly. Yeah. because And that is willing to work that quickly and is competent because you need to have them do all this data for you. Like you don't have access to all that stuff. Like you're not an agent, so you don't have access to the MLS and can run all those reports. The amount of data that they have access to is awesome. So the other th- great thing about being an architect and doing something that you're familiar with is that you can immediately lay it out. You immediately know generally what the codes are going to be. This one, maybe next time we we'll talk about it. We got thrown for a loop, which would have destroyed one of our buildings, which would have destroyed our, our profit margin and all that stuff. But I went to the city, talked talked them out of it. Um, it, it. It all worked out. So lay everything out, see if it works, see if that works. In and I don't mean we don't mean lay everything out uh, to a T. You know, like we just kind of did basic massing. We knew that we knew that we had to. We knew that each building, each townhome could be 18 by 40. Boom. There you go. Right. So, you're, you know, think about like Legos and building blocks. Yep, exactly. And then like, oh, okay, how high are we going? Do we fit within the bulk planes? What are the setbacks? Right. You guys can all do that. Um, and then the other thing that's going to limit you is, okay, what if that all works out? But, and what if the math works out, but it's four acres and it's $400,000? Like, can I just buy that? You need to know that the other thing you need to know, the other number is 20%. Okay, but call whoever's going to give you the land loan, right? There's probably in in the north of of Denver, there's only one basically around here. Yeah, exactly. There's only two ways you're going to buy land. Uh, It's either cash and that is actually going to be the predominant way. Yep. Um, Because land loans are just they're just not a thing. But luckily they are. I mean, there is one company, like Alex said, in Colorado that we found that will work. Yeah, on this side of Denver. So call them up, find them and say, hey, you'll probably have to do a pre-app. The, you'll put in all your assets, you'll give them your tax returns, all that stuff. And they say, okay, we'll loan you. And normally they'll ask like, which land are you looking at? Right. Because they want to see if it's a value or if you're just a crazy kook or something like Cause that. Cause you might be crazy. You, you could be crazy. Who knows? Um, 20% down. So then if you have a hundred thousand dollars, okay. If the land's a hundred thousand dollars, do you have 20 grand? Because, and, the- and they will ask for bank sheets. Yep. They, they want you to prove the cash. I mean, yep. that's their way of vetting 
politely. <laughs> so you, you could literally start that route and find someone that could loan you money uh, and then see how much money you have. Let's say you have 40 grand, and if they say 20, be like, okay, land has to be two, under 200,000. And the, the, the other caveat I would add to this too is this is from us doing two design builds now, one that was right on the edge of being too far away. I think there's a va- there's a good rule of thumb of you should be if you can be 15 minutes away from the job site. You got minutes. just I'm telling you like cuz even coming down to like personal just your personal life and juggling kids and family and all that kind of stuff just being closer to your work is paramount. Plus plus you know the area then too. I mean you understand like what the market will bear. Yep, yep. Lance and I have been talking about stocks recently and uh, today too. And my philosophy, like I'm only buying stocks that I'm interested in, in following and Lance's too. Like personally, like personally interested. do it anyways. Yeah. Yep. So the same thing is with your land. Like you're already around here. You already kind of know the neighborhoods and all that stuff. So see how much money you have, see what you can get a loan from. That's your cap. See if something falls in place that fits what you know you can do. Now you're talking, right? And we can go over in the next podcast, you know, all the next podcast sequentially. Okay. Then what do you bring to the city? Um, uh, God, what was my other one? How do you get money for the big build? We'll figure that out. We, we don't we'll know. Tell you. We don't know yet. Alex, <laughs> Alex, Alex tur- literally turned to me the other day as we were driving. So how are we going to pay? I'm, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to pay for this. <laughs> but we yeah, don't know. <laughs> we're going to figure it out, and then we're going to tell you. <laughs> exactly. And maybe it'll help you because that is a big, huge mystery. I mean, the biggest mystery that was unraveled to us was how do you get the land? How do you get the land? First of all, and so I felt like if we solve that problem, I, I don't know, we can solve the other problems. Yep. We've made it up so far. We'll, we'll make up the next part. Yep. So this this whole process is going to continue. I think we're going to give you uh, lessons that we learned from the past and then a, a current update about what's going on. Um, and that's, that's all I got. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.